are um, developing a new theme uh, for how we describe ourselves as a church. And I'm taking the first, uh, really the first three or four Sundays of the year to talk about that. And the theme is uh, Simply Central. We're trying to define ourselves in the, the simplest terms by describing three things that we want to be. Last week, we talked about the value of being anchored. Anchored in the, the, the core uh, doctrines of the early church, the inspiration of Scripture, the, the Holy Trinity and the deity of Jesus, the resurrection, the kingdom of heaven, and salvation by faith in Christ. Those are the points to which we anchor ourselves as a church. These are the essentials um, upon which we have to agree. And kind of a, a motto for our church is an old saying that, that some attribute to uh, Thomas Aquinas that says, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, uh, liberty. And in all things, charity. We want to be charitable uh, to everyone. The next thing that defines us as a church is our desire to be centered. First of all, we are anchored. Second, we are centered. And the, and the icon that we've developed to represent this uh, combines an image of the Bible with an image of the cross. As a church, we want to be centered on the person of Jesus who we meet in the scriptures. Here's the big idea for today's message. Central will always aspire to be a church that stays centered on Jesus Christ. I think we need to be really careful about this phrase. It's very easy to allow it to become a marketing uh, slogan or a, a quip thing that we say about ourselves without really wrestling with it. I think it's better probably to say we are a Jesus-centering church, uh, constantly trying to recalibrate who we are and how we do things, making sure that Jesus is at the center. Today, I want to identify seven uh, characteristics of Jesus-centering churches. And again, this is one of the things that we want to define us here at, at Central. First characteristic of a Jesus-centering church is that we will prioritize the teachings and example of Jesus. That doesn't mean that we, we won't preach uh, or study other parts of Scripture, but whenever we study them, we will study them in mind of what does this tell us about Christ? Where does he fit in to this story? Some of the questions that we will wrestle with is why did Jesus say he came? How did he introduce his ministry? Who did he say that he was? What did he say mattered the most? How did he tell us to get connected with God? What did he tell us to do? How did he say we should express our love for him? How did he spend his time? How did he treat people? There are key passages that, that we will come back to over and over and over again. And I make no apology for that because they're ones that are core to understanding Christ. Let me just mention a few of them that you will hear frequently if you stick around here at Central. One is you'll hear us referencing Luke 4, which is Jesus' inaugural address. 
It's the way he introduced himself and his ministry. We did a long series on Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, which to me, the, the Sermon on the Mount is to Jesus what the I Have a Dream speech is to Martin Luther King or the Gettysburg Address is, is to Lincoln. Uh, if you understand the Sermon on the Mount, you understand the heart and the passion of Jesus. We'll frequently refer to Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, one of the most powerful uh, pieces of literature ever written. We'll talk about John 3, where he instructs us how to be born again. We'll look at Matthew 23, his wild rant uh, against the Pharisees. We'll frequently touch upon Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about caring for the least of these. In fact, we'll come back to some of these passages even later in this message. We'll spend time in John 14 through 17, the upper room discourse, where Jesus talked about how important it is that we be known for our unity and the degree to which we love each other. You can't be a Jesus-centered church, we can't be a Jesus-centered church without prioritizing what Christ, what Christ said and what Christ did. The Bible makes a point that Jesus is the living word. We, we learn some things about God from the scriptures. We learn other things about God by simply looking to Jesus, who said, if you have seen me, You've seen the Father. Next, a, a Jesus-centering church will invite people to enter the kingdom of heaven. One of our core messages needs to be an invitation to people to come into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is, in essence, God's redemptive rule. It's, it's that space where all things happen exactly as God wants them to happen. And one day it will come to a culmination when God creates a new heaven and a new earth and Christ reigns forever. One way of thinking about evangelism is to consider it an invitation to live under the rule of Jesus, to conform our lives to his teachings. The kingdom of heaven <clears throat> was the main focus of Jesus' ministry. I'm just going to go through a number of passages where he speaks of Mark chapter 1, verse 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe this good news. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke 4, 33 but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Luke 17, 20 to 11, and once I'm being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is already in your midst. And then one of my very favorite verses, Matthew 6, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. So Jesus-centering churches will focus on the teachings and example of Jesus. We will, we will invite people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then next, Jesus-centering churches will love our neighbors. 
The parable of the Good Samaritan is one of the most powerful short stories that has ever been written. It is Jesus' answer to an expert in the law who asked him, what must one do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how do I, um, how do I become saved? How do I experience God's grace? How do I enter his kingdom? Characteristically, uh, Jesus seldom answered questions directly. He, he turns uh, the question around and he asks the expert in the law a question. He says, what is in the law and how do you read it? What's your opinion? How do you think people uh, inherit eternal life? And the expert replied, and he's quoting Jesus. Jesus had said this <clears throat> on an earlier occasion. The expert said, love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus essentially says to him, you are spot on. Do this and you inherit eternal life. The man tries to, to wiggle out by asking who his neighbor is, uh, setting the stage for one of Jesus' most famous parables. And the point of which, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is that the most important aspect of following Jesus is loving God with a heart, mind, and soul and loving those around us and showing mercy to them. On two other occasions, uh, people come to Jesus asking him, what matters most? What is the most important thing? What is the most important commandment? And in both cases, he answers that it is to love God with all our heart, minds, and soul and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I was thinking about that this week and thinking one thing I would like for us to do better this year is to think very literally about who are some of our neighbors who live within a half mile of our church and how can we extend love to them? I don't know what we've done really well with that in terms of thinking about the, 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 the properties that are almost adjacent to ours and getting into them and, and loving people as we ought to. Next, Jesus-centering churches will help to meet the physical and spiritual needs of people on the margins. It's one of the things that, that Jesus-centered churches will be about are, are reaching out to people who, whose lives are vulnerable, who, who live in a hard, uh, risky world. While all of our neighbors are important, Jesus always demonstrated a special concern for those who live on the margins. In Matthew 25, he said, he refers to them as the least of these. Uh, those considered least important by the world at large should be most important to us. So, so much so <clears throat> that Jesus said that caring for them is the way that we should demonstrate our love for him. Isn't that amazing? Whenever you care for someone who is in deep need and who often gets overlooked, in Jesus' mind, it is as though you are caring for him himself. Then he turned it around um, in a way that is less uh, encouraging to think about, um, but, but should convict us. And he says, when we don't do that, when we don't care for people on the margins, it is as though we are ignoring uh, his needs. And he went as far as to say that those who do not do this um, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. What else do Jesus-centering churches do? 
One thing I think that Jesus-centering churches will do is confront the spirit of the Pharisees. It's so easy to, to let this spirit creep into who we are. And it's easy to study all of the, 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 the kind and gentle things that Jesus does. But if we're really going to center on the person of Jesus Christ, we also need to ask ourselves, what made him mad? What, what are the things that particularly upset him? And we want to avoid those things. Matthew chapter 23 is called the seven woes chapter. A woe is a prediction of calamity. It's Jesus saying, uh, calamity is going to overtake you if you are, are like this. And this could be a whole series of messages. I'm just going to list a few of them uh, here this morning. But in, in resisting the spirit of the Pharisees, what are some things we need to avoid? We need to avoid making faith a heavy load and not lifting a hand to help people bear it. That's the, the first woe is Jesus says, some of you are making it hard for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're not lifting a hand to help them. Another mark of, of the Pharisees that we need to confront and, and be careful about is engaging in meaningless displays of false righteousness to earn the approval of others. Kind of going through the motions in order to appear righteous with, without really wrestling with what is at the core of being a person who is following the example of Christ, justice, mercy, and goodness. He also confronted them on shutting the door of heaven in people's faces, making it hard for people to enter his kingdom with unrealistic demands. All things that Jesus confronted that can become a part of a church's culture if we are not careful. He was talking about hypocrites um, and the dangers of being judgmental. Um, and he actually, he, he used some strong language for, for people who do that. Uh, and when we, when we um, look down upon others and judge them, he called the Pharisees sons of hell. Um, another mark of the Pharisees is giving meticulous attention to things that don't really matter while ignoring a justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So easy to get caught up in things that just don't matter all that much and, and be very meticulous and careful about doing things right, whatever that may be, and ignoring justice and mercy and faithfulness. Last thing he talked about was, was looking good on the outside but being filled with greed and self-indulgence. But the Pharisees were good at kind of polishing up the outward image uh, engaging in displays of righteousness and standing on street corners and praying. But in their hearts, they were greedy and indulging themselves. Those are all things that we want to avoid. Let's go to something more positive. <clears throat> Next thing about Jesus-centering churches is that a Jesus-centered church will be a friend of sinners. Just love this verse. This is Matthew 11 um, verses 18 and 19. It says, for, for Jesus came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. I want Central to be a place 
where broken people feel extremely welcomed, unconditionally accepted and loved. We, we can't follow Jesus if we don't do that. And last of all, Jesus-centering churches will gather at the table. The praise band is going to, to lead us in none but Jesus. There is no one else for me, none but Jesus, crucified to set me free. Now I live to bring him praise. When we finish singing um, the song, I'm going to ask them to continue playing softly, and I'll ask our elders to come forward to uh, serve communion. Um, but let's now um, stand and sing with the praise band, None But Jesus. Thank you.